Hey, Story Show listeners. Uh, Jeremy Corey Green is here along with Shane Kepke and Gisela Barker. And it's interesting. We're using last names this season, apparently. It's or... weird. I've had my last name like my whole life. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Usually we're just, I don't know, I guess maybe we people, we're assuming people forgot about our podcast. I think it's first names before. I think my name, because it's only one syllable, comes off as weird. Shane. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe. That's true. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we're here sharing stories from the 2020 Pass the Plate Story Show. And the uh, the charity, every story show has a charity where uh, all of our proceeds go to it. And Shane is intimately involved with this one. Intimately it makes it sound creepier than it really is. I am, Only if you go there, Shane. I am, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am really proud to be a part of Food for Backpacks. It was... Something that we came up with the first year that I came to be a pastor at the Lutheran Church at Grace Lutheran here in town. And um, I wanted to be a part of a congregation that was really interested in helping their community. And this was the first thing they came up with out of the gate. And it was a group of people who had already started thinking about how can we be in our community and serving others. And the thing they came up with was how can we feed kids after school, especially on the weekends. Um, get the food they need to get through the weekend because food insecurity is real and on top of food insecurity there's somehow a lack of knowledge within some families on even how to provide food or a lack of parenting 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 is definitely a word <laughs> there's a there's some parenting uh struggles that happen within those uh relationships as well and so some of those kids just go without meals for a majority of the weekend, either through work or misparenting or whatever. And so we wanted to be a part of that solution. And so they started uh, working with an agency, a company who makes prepared food. And we kind of came up with a generally agreed upon menu. We figured out that it was gonna be, at that time, $3.33 a meal, uh, a bag. So that was $3.33 for one kid for one weekend full of food. That's two breakfasts, two lunch, two snacks. And we made the assumption that someone would be home in the evening to feed, or at least one of those. You were able to do that for $3.33. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's, it was, when we heard that number, it was amazing. It's, it's creeping toward $4 now um, over the last three years. But still, to have a weekend's worth of food in for under $4. $4 by the company who packs it all for us, and it comes all prepared. We get boxes full of, this is mac and cheese, this is ramen, this is whatever the meal is, SpaghettiOs. Um, and sometimes they're more nutritious than others. There are, like, there's a long-term goal to make them a little more fresh than they are now, but these are all shelf-stable. We like that idea because um, there's a number of families in our community that live, they couch surf. Homelessness doesn't look like it used to. I think people have this idea that people live in an alley. That doesn't happen in our community. What happens more is that people surf from one family's couch mm -hmm. to another. And so for a kid to have this food in their backpack for a weekend, even if they have to hide it, meant that they ate. Because kids with full bellies end up learning better and they end up being better aware of their surroundings. And it's just amazing the, the power of basic nutrition. And so to be a part of that solution um, grew from one school that was across the street from our church to all the schools in town with lots of nonprofits helping, mostly churches, and for them to all think beyond their walls, as we know churches can sometimes be <laughs> uh, kind of consumed with themselves sometimes, and so for them to all think and work together has been a really great thing for our community. 
I totally agree. Like, I, it never ceases to amaze me, like, how a small group of people can always, like, just have this crazy impact on yeah. a community. It like, was five people that thought of this. Yeah. And look what it's grown into. Like, I, I just love stories like that. And they, <laughs> they handle all the administration, all the logistics, because that got expensive real fast. <laughs> and, I mean, we spend a lot of money in a year feeding all of those kids. And Denise talks about the numbers as of 2019, early mm-hmm. 2020. And, uh, and Three, 354 elementary and middle school students, and by the end of 2019, they were up to 455. Yeah, and you know, you take 350, let's say, a meal, that's a lot of money for us to finagle from all the churches and all the people that want to help. And there's been companies that help distribute those boxes when they come because it's a truckload of food, and so it gets distributed to lots of different places to be delivered later. And it's really a great if people want to donate now, mm-hmm. how do they do that? Uh, they can do that through Grace Lutheran Church in Albert Lee, or uh, that's the best place. <laughs> go see Shane if they go to Grace Lutheran. Go see me. Uh, no, we say, we kind of house all the donations, and we have a separate section in our budget just for that, and we accumulate all the donations that come in throughout a year and help pay for that. And we've started getting grants for it, and hopefully we'll in the future be able to do that. But that. it's amazing. I, I don't have a lot to do with it anymore. I'm, I just call myself a cheerleader, which is a great gift to be able to say, look at what people can do when they sit down and it doesn't take a lot of people and it didn't take a lot of brain power or anything at the beginning. It was just, how can we accomplish this task? We want to make sure these kids are fed. And when we started looking, it wasn't us going to the grocery store every week to buy bread. It was calling someone who knew what they were doing. Yeah. And or, say, organizing it so that it's sustainable. Yeah. And it just becomes an automated thing. That Yeah, and that was our big thing, was that we didn't want to be the ones that were responsible for doing that because that falls apart really fast. Right. Whereas when we can hire a company to give us the product that's got everything we need in it, right? Instead yeah. of guessing, like, fruit strips or cold fish. <laughs> <laughs> So you mentioned like a small group of people. Janice was one of those people. Yeah, Janice right? was. Uh, sorry, yeah, I forgot. Yeah. So Janice Jeffrey is our next speaker. And, and she was on that team. And she's actually in charge of purchasing the food. She calls the, the company that we have our arrangement through. And she puts down, she kind of makes the food decisions for the year. And they give her options for what the main meal is in it. And so she picks out a lot of that, makes sure that it gets delivered on time, and then somebody else cuts the check. And I mean, it's it's a fairly simple operation for the number of meals that get delivered. And the social workers at the school have been so instrumental in making sure that happens. When, I don't know, I didn't grow up in Minnesota, but social workers weren't a thing in school. And I was a social worker before I was a pastor. And so when I heard about social workers in school, I was like, what do they do? And then I found out they do a ton of work in a school. I mean, they yeah. do all of those things that kids are missing out on or just don't know about. And uh, they are a huge support. So they make sure that those meals get discreet, discreetly delivered into backpacks and lockers and all kinds yeah. of fun stuff. And they're, they're the like, grease behind the scenes, yeah, man, they're like big these, time tiny little gift givers that roam around the school with Ziploc baggies full of food. Janice is also a community rock star and she's always behind the scenes. I don't think people realize like how many lives she's impacted because her work is always on the down low. Mm -hmm. Like she's awesome. She's good. Ego free. Yeah, exactly. She she just does the work and keeps her head down and keeps rolling. So Next time you see Janice in public, give her a high five. She'll love that. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, let's let's listen to her story because um, well, the great thing about the story is it, it lets us see what it's like to be one of those kids, you know, mm-hmm. who who uh, can benefit from this program. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. all right. Well, here is Janice's story. Uh, there's nothing on the plate from our January 2020 story show. Enjoy. Oh, so good. Due to teaching at the high school and many activities their children are in, Janice and her husband, Max, are often at school events, band concerts, choir shows, swimming meets, basketball games, robotics competitions, or they're sitting in the parking lot waiting to give someone a ride. They've been known to picnic in the common areas between events and call it date night. Now with two or more drivers in the house, the kids are encouraged to coordinate their schedules to reduce parental workloads, allowing Max and Janice to do more of the winter activities they love, such as sitting by the fire and reading or walking the big yellow dog at Edgewater Park. If you see Max and Janice driving kids, it likely means that coordinating schedules was unsuccessful or communication broke down and they had to leave their winter hibernation den. This is Nothing on the Plate by Janice Jeffrey. One thing teachers love is when they plan a lesson that grabs the interest of the students, resulting in questions and excitement. Teachers know that not every lesson will be an attention grabber. Sometimes notes need to be taken and citations created. But those lessons that provoke thought, discussion, and interest are what get students and teachers through the required lessons of drudgery. So imagine the dismay of a teacher when a well-planned lesson goes awry because of situations outside of the teacher's control. The list of what may cause distracted students is endless, but can include a student's haircut, a spider, a strong gust of wind, someone passing gas, an announcement from the office, Valentine's Day, a boy, always a boy, who decides to wear on his face the stickers from the apples of everyone at his lunch table, Snapchat, an upcoming football game, a single snowflake, a sneeze, and Please, don't let someone get the hiccups. I've taught grades 6 through 12, and the list is the same, no matter what the age of the student. Their responses may differ, but the distractions are the same. Those are the innocent daily or seasonal events that can distract a class, but an individual's behavior can also cause a distraction. There are the kids who are bored who want to cause distraction for their entertainment. There are angry kids who can't keep their emotions controlled the social butterflies who just can't help themselves. And then there was Nick. Nick often tried to sleep in class. Sometime if a student is occasionally sleepy, a teacher may just quietly let it go. But with Nick, it was an everyday event. And it seemed to be contagious in that class. If Nick got away with sleeping, everyone wanted to sleep. So my battle each day was to keep Nick awake and try to engage him in the day's lessons. Most days were similar to this. Nick, we can't sleep in class. Maybe if you work on your vocab sheet, it'll help you stay awake. I don't have a pencil. Here's a pencil. I keep them over here for students to use, and then I might wander away. As I circle back around, Nick would have his head down again. Nick, why aren't you using that pencil I gave you? I don't have a paper. 
there's plenty of copies for everyone, and I walk away. About the time I'm halfway across the classroom, Nick has gotten up to sharpen his pencil, but he's taken the long route to the pencil sharpener, talking to people as he goes or touching things on people's desks. Hey, Nick, can you move quietly around the classroom? I guess. He finishes what he set out to do, returns to his seat, quietly touching everyone's things along the way. A few minutes later, Nick, you haven't gotten started. Is there anything I can help you with? I'm going to go to the office. I can't seem to do anything right for you today. I'm not sending you to the office, Nick. I want you to be here. I'm out of here. I quietly go to my computer to email the office and let them know that today turned out different and Nick is on his way to the office, but that I didn't send him. He's not in trouble, even if his behaviors had been frustrating. <clears throat> Teachers really do want to keep kids in class, even if they aren't doing work, because it's usually a place where they won't get into trouble and they still might learn something, even if they aren't fully participating. When a student leaves the classroom, I internally hang my head, feeling as if I should have done something different. After school, the social worker came to my classroom. She said that Nick came to see her after he left my class, and she thought it was important for me to know why. At this point, I'm frantically trying to remember everything that happened, trying to remember if something happened in class that he interpreted differently than I did, or if there was something that, with another student that I didn't notice. The social worker resumed. Last night, there was nothing to eat at Nick's house. As he sat in your classroom near the end of the day, he was thinking about going home again to no food. He thought maybe he could call his dad and remind him to pick up something to eat. So Nick was distracted because even though he ate breakfast and lunch at school, he was afraid there might not be an after-school snack or supper. It's quite possible he did all of those little behaviors hoping I would send him to the office and he would have a face-saving excuse to leave. Sadly, Nick's experience is not uncommon and was probably not unique to that day. It's not uncommon for teachers to keep granola bars on hand just in case, and most teachers will pack a double lunch for a field trip so they can share with students who have no lunch. Things have gotten better in the 24 years I've been teaching. Hot breakfast is available or students can get a grab-and-go cold breakfast if they don't get to school early enough for the hot breakfast. The cafeteria will make sack lunches upon request for field trip days and charge those to the student's account. So if a student is on free and reduced lunch, they'll be charged at that rate. During summer school, breakfast and lunch are now available and not just for students enrolled, but for any kid who wants to come <coughs> to school for a meal. But there are lots of times when a student can face food insecurity each evening, every weekend, holiday vacations. Behaviors at school often go up just prior to a school break. And those behaviors are often exhibited by our students most likely to face a break with little food. When Nick found out about the backpack program from his social worker, he was skeptical. He thought there had to be a catch. No one just gives out free food. And there was a catch. Nick's dad had to sign the papers requesting Nick be part of the program. And there's no income criteria or needs-based assessments, just a signature giving permission, but that alone can come with a stigma that Nick's dad had to be willing to accept. You see, Nick's cupboards at home weren't empty because dad had no money. I mean, dad had limited money, but he chose to spend those, that money on things he wanted. Nick's needs were an afterthought. Nick wasn't entirely wrong in thinking maybe a phone call to his dad would encourage his dad to remember to buy food. It was something Nick had to be constantly vigilant about. Nick got his dad to sign the form, 
And with that signature, Nick had more control over his situation. He could eat that food on the weekend if there was no other food, or if there happened to be food that weekend, he could save it for the next time Dad failed to bring food home. When Nick found his weekend food bundle each week in his backpack, he would quickly scan the items. If there was something he didn't like, he would go to the teacher's snack box. In that box, the teacher allowed students to dump breakfast or lunch items they didn't like so someone else could have a snack, or they could just make a trade. Nick was not like some of those other kids who upon finding something in their lunch they didn't like would grumble, mom knows I don't like this, and throw it away. Why waste food when it could be eaten by someone else? Although Nick didn't want others to know he was getting free food, he did hear others talk openly about it. He knew there were many other kids in his class who were hungry. They could even ask the teacher if, if they would even ask the teacher if they could take extra food home for their siblings. He knew he had to share the foods he didn't like, or he would be doing to someone else what his dad did to him. It was Nick's way of paying it forward. He would make a trade if he could, but if not, he would leave the unwanted item for someone else. And he would notice when the bell rang on Friday afternoon, the box was always empty. Nick tried not to miss school, no matter how he felt, because it was at school that he could get two meals and a snack. He also wanted to go to the after-school programs, because that was another snack opportunity. He definitely didn't miss a Friday, because Fridays were the days the backpack food was delivered, and he was very afraid that if he wasn't there to get the food, not only would he be hungry, but his teacher might give it to someone else who needed food. One Friday, he was very sick and had to stay home. Somehow convinced his dad to go to school to pick up the food, probably telling his dad that was the only way he would stay home. On another Friday afternoon, the delivery was late, and Nick left his teacher's classroom to once again visit his social worker. This time to find out if the food was still arriving as expected. She assured him it was, and, but just a little bit late, and he was able to go back to class knowing there would be food for that weekend. I'd like to tell you that this food bundle made Nick a better student. It helped take away food uncertainty, which in itself is a success. It's painful to think of kids like Nick so focused on providing for themselves at such a young age. Nick kept plugging away at school. Attendance was his strongest academic school, and showing up is definitely the beginning to getting an education. He leaves class less often to secure food, but, with a, kid like, with, but a kid with a dad like Nick's had many other traumas which led to other difficulties. I like to think having food made life just a little bit easier for Nick to deal with them. Last year, the backpack program fed 358 elementary and middle school students. As of December 2018, we're up to 455 students getting food bundles. For the price of the ticket you bought tonight, we can feed Nick for five weekends with two breakfasts, two lunches, and two snacks. Thank you. The Pass the Plate Story Show is recorded live January 11th, 2020 at the Marion Ross Performing Arts Center in Albert Lee, Minnesota. The show was produced by Angie Zoller-Barker, Shane Kepke, and me, Jeremy Corey Greenis. To hear more stories, follow us on Facebook, subscribe to our podcast, 
or check out our webpage at thestoryshow.org.